In recent decades, there have been so many advances in skincare science. But along with ever-advancing benefits come new concerns and controversies around safety and environmental impact. So if it feels like you need a PhD to separate marketing hype from legitimate science for something as simple as purchasing sunscreen these days, well, let me tell you, you are not alone. So today on The Beauty Construct, we chat with cosmetics industry R&D veteran Susan Nettesheim, to help us deconstruct some of the concerns around everyday personal care products. Susan, we need your help. Thanks so much for joining us. So Susan, you've held some high-profile positions with some really big-named companies like Pons, Vaseline, Johnson & Johnson. And within all of your positions, research and development and product safety was your top priority. So with that being said... What are most people using in their everyday skincare routines that is safe versus the ones that I need to immediately run to the bathroom and discard from my medicine cabinet? (laughs) Well, I hope there are not too many of the latter in your home. I think for the most part, people don't need to worry about the safety of the products that they use um, in their everyday lives. They're usually manufactured by very reputable companies and they're safety tested extensively. So it's not an area that I would uh, be warning my friends about, that's for sure. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about your position. So what does research and development all entail? So I basically had about 30 years working in research and development for personal care products companies. So what that meant was um, we are the people that do everything from actually formulating the products. I always say it's like cooking in a different language um, to their groups that assure the safety, that do the testing, that make sure the claim support work is accurate. Um, So the R&D organization is the technical group that supports the development, the safety um, of all the products uh, that are ma- marketing by these companies. You know, I, I've i been fascinated with skincare for, for years and years, um, as a lot of my friends have as well. And I think at the root of all that is just we want to look as young as possible for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, it's very overwhelming and very intimidating because there's so many products out there. What are some things that when we start reading labels, we really need to look out for that you think are the most effective? Well, the first thing I always tell all my friends is the most important thing you can be doing for your skin, particularly for areas that are sun exposed, is to wear a sunscreen every day. Because much of what we think about as aging skin is actually sun damage. And the way you can sort of prove that to yourself is take a look at the skin on the inside of your arm and look in general how beautiful it is. Generally, it doesn't have any spots. It's not wrinkled. Even as you get older, that skin remains beautiful. And the reason is it's not sun exposed. So number one thing, you should be wearing um, a product, particularly on, let's say, your hands, your face, and your neck with uh, an SPF every day, because a little bit of damage every day over your life is adds up to an enormous amount of damage on an ongoing basis. So that's number one. Can I be can I be raw for just one sure. second though? Uh, SPF is a pain in the butt. <laughs> I mean, what are the what are the rules? Right, you have to apply like twenty minutes before you go outside. You got to keep reapplying. I mean, you really have to stay on it. It's a bit of a pain. It, it, well, I would say there's a huge difference between everyday daily protection 
and what you need to do if you're, you know, you're going to go to the Caribbean on vacation. So everyday daily protection should be fairly easy because I am pretty sure no matter what brand you use, if you look at your daily moisturizer, the vast majority of them will contain sun protection. But it's certainly something you want to look for. And even a lot of foundations now um, have sun protection. So that shouldn't be difficult because most women, I think, will put something on every day. Just make sure it has sunscreen. The other thing I tell people is don't like dot it on like it's some very precious concoction. You really need to, you know, to put, and it's also from a moisturizing standpoint, important to put a good amount of product on to cover your skin. But if we're at the beach... We need to carry it with us and reapply yeah, you need, for it to be effective. You need to reapply. If you're going to be at the beach all day or you're going to be out, you know, boating all day or playing tennis or golf or with your kids running around, you do need to reapply. So it is something you need to keep in mind. But in addition to reapplying, you also, you know, need to think about, um, you know, getting some shade, you know. So, uh, you know, don't stay out in the sun all day, particularly during, you um, the hours of 10 and 2 when the sun is most intense. Try and break it up a little bit. Is SPF, say, 30, Mm -hmm. just as effective as SPF 70? Well, number one, the most important thing is, are you applying it correctly? So I'd rather have someone use a 30 and apply it liberally and reapply it than someone who tells me, well, I buy a 70, I kind of dot it on in the morning and then I don't reapply it. So that number one is make sure you're applying it and reapplying it. That being said, yes, 70 is going to provide more protection than a 30 would. Um, And particularly for people who are extremely sensitive or have a history, let's say, of melanoma, you know, they might want to choose to use a higher SPF sunscreen. Are the rules any different for babies, for little kids who are spending time in the sun? Yeah. First of all, in general, babies under six months, you don't want to put them in the sun. Not a good idea. So you really want to make sure that you are providing um, babies, and I would say even young children with shade. Um, So the other great thing that we've had developed recently, which I just love, is this UPF clothing. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard with a kid who's running around at the beach or the pool or whatever to constantly be slathering sunscreen on them. I watch mother sometimes and it's almost like a comedy show. Mm-hmm. But this new UPF clothing is really terrific. These swim rash guards that the kids can wear. And I think, you know, that with a hat and then judicious use of sunscreen um, on the other areas that are exposed can really, uh, it's really important. I want you to kind of debunk a myth here. Um, This just got brought up with my niece. I asked her, I was getting ready. uh, We all stayed together. We went on a little vacation and I was getting ready and I was putting on my SPF and I asked her if she wanted some. She's 19. She has beautiful, flawless skin. And she goes, I don't need to put on SPF. The sun isn't even shining today. It's cloudy. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) True or false? False. Actually, um, you know, the sun's rays, we break them basically into two different categories as it relates to sunburning, tanning, aging, which are called them UVA and UVB. And UVB, the way to remember it is UVB are burning. UVA tend to be more aging. Um, the good news is the clouds do screen out the UVB rays, which is why in general on a cloudy day, you won't get as much of a sunburn. Unfortunately, they do not do a very good job of screening out the UVA rays, which are the ones that penetrate a little bit more deeply and tend to do more damage leading to what we think of as aged skin. So while you may not be getting as much a color or as much of a burn, uh, you're still doing damage to your skin. 
Wow. So it really is important to have it be a part of our everyday routine. Absolutely. So SPF is at the top of the list. What else do we need to do? I think cleansing is important. And again, I would say mild cleansing. Um, you know, there's no need to overdo it. I think a lot of people, uh, think particularly talk again about young people that have, um, acne or blackheads, they associate that with being dirty, which is really not the case. You want to cleanse your face, but you want to do it in a gentle and mild way. Mm-hmm. So I want to take a little detour since we're talking about SPF, because uh, when I was researching this, something popped up that was a bit of a shock to me, and that is SPF sunscreen is affecting coral in the ocean. Now, whenever we spend time at the beach, we obviously want to put on our SPF, we want to reapply, we go into the ocean. So what we're protecting for ourselves is not necessarily protecting what's in our ocean. Yeah, this is a... One that's very near and dear to me because in addition to my technical background, my favorite pastime is scuba diving. So the concern about what we call coral bleaching, which is basically initially coral getting sick and eventually coral dying, is it's a huge concern. I think the things to recognize about this is that the key contributor to coral bleaching is actually climate change. Even something as small as a two-degree change in temperature is enough to start to impact coral. And in addition, ocean acidification, overfishing, sedimentation, and believe it or not, infections are really impacting corals around the world. Even at the National Oceanographic Administration, what they will say is if we don't deal with climate, sunscreens won't matter. It's a little bit like rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic. Mm. There have been a few studies in the last few years that have shown some of the agents that we use in sunscreens can be damaging to coral. Um, And a lot of, I think a lot of townships and states think, well, this is something that's easily tackled. We can easily say, we're going to ban the sale of these sunscreens. The issue I have with that is that sunscreens are not some little superfluous ingredient that we use. They are actually a life-saving drug. You know, almost 10,000 Americans are diagnosed with skin cancer every day. That's three and a half million people a year. And the use of sunscreens is really important in the fight against cancer. So, you know, what does all this mean? If I go back to my scuba diving experience, I think we all need to make responsible choices So let me tell you what I do. Years ago, I would get up in the morning, slather sunscreen all over my body, go for my dive, get out, take my wetsuit off, slather sunscreen all over my body, and I would do that as many times as I was diving. Now what I do in the morning is I wear UPF clothing, and I put sunscreens on my face and on my hands, and when I get out from a dive, I either leave my wetsuit on because it covers my whole body. Or if I take it off, again, I put on my clothing and I seek out the shade. So I think that all of us have to try and find ways to balance things. I mean, again, avoiding skin cancer is really important. I also think avoiding adding any chemicals to the ocean is very important. Mm -hmm. So I think we all need to find, um, you know, responsible ways to do what we can. Yeah, it's definitely a connection I never would have made. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like, who would have thought? Right. Interesting. You mentioned chemicals. So I want to use that to kind of talk about another topic, chemicals in skincare. Now, I know for me, when I hear the word chemicals, it's scary. I don't want chemicals in my body. I don't want chemicals in my skincare, but yet here they are. So I want to know what is safe and 
what is dangerous, mm-hmm. which is a word that's used if you do a Google search, a simple Google search on skincare products that come up, harsh chemicals, dangerous chemicals that we need to avoid. So what are some things that we definitely need to steer clear of that may be doing a lot more harm than good? Well, first I have bad news for you. Your entire body is made of chemicals. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is always one that I, you know, I sit and I listen to people and they're like, oh, I don't want to use any chemicals. And I'm like, you know what? Everything is made of chemicals. I I always laugh when people eat a blueberry, I always wonder what exactly do they think a blueberry is? You know, and I, I mean, if I read you some ingredients in blueberries, like three methyl butyraldehyde, hexanal, styrene, benzaldehyde, those are all ingredients of blueberries. They don't sound very good. And I think that's part of the problem with chemicals is a lot of the names are kind of scary. Mm -hmm. And the word chemicals has gotten a bad rap. It has gotten a bad rap and there is a reason for that. And it has to do with the way chemicals are regulated in the United States. The laws have not been updated since the 70s. They need to be updated. And a lot of uh, special interest groups have been pushing rightly for reform. Um, But unfortunately, rather than focusing on the real issues and challenges, which are industrial chemicals, the dangerous chemicals, chemicals used in chemical processing plants and to make large-scale raw materials, what they found was when they started talking about uh, the chemicals that we're exposed to every day and that we use in our personal care products or in our food, that was a very emotional target. And consumers all of a sudden started paying attention. And then you combine that with social media and the fact that social media loves sensationalism and consumers started having a a lack of trust and there was this turn toward natural. So it's a little bit of a challenge. It's hard to explain to people, you know, not all natural things are safe and not all, for sure, not all chemical things are not safe. I remember saying that one time around a a friend who works in a skincare company. I said, you know, I want my products to be natural. And she said, well, Bacteria is natural. Right. I always tell people botulism is natural and so is poison ivy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want either one of those. Right, exactly. You know, one word that's been pretty scary and terrifying, and I'm not sure why, is parabens. Oh, I know. I don't even really know what parabens are. I just know that I should stay away from them because that's kind of what's been taught to me. That's what I've heard. That's Mm -hmm. what my dermatologist told me. Mm -hmm. How did parabens get such a bad rap and, and what are they? Okay, so parabens are preservatives, and they're actually some of the most widely used and intensively studied preservatives in the world. Um, And also, they are found in nature. So bees make parabens. Uh, Blueberries have parabens. That being said, they are a group of chemicals. It's not just one chemical. They're a group. And there are a few of the parabens that actually, I would say, and most scientists would agree, are not safe to use on skin or in food. But what's happened is those have sort of painted the whole class. So people use it, say parabens are bad. It's not true. There are a few parabens are bad, but the ones that we're currently using, um, particularly in skincare, and they're also approved for use in food, again, they're some of the safest ingredients that we have. Why would a company put them into skincare? Just for shelf life? Yeah. So one of the most important things we need to do when we formulate skincare products, particularly those containing water, is we need to make sure that as long as you have the product, they're not going to grow fungus or have bacteria or, uh, you know, any other microorganisms. So we use preservatives to make sure that the integrity of the product is protected. Now, 
one of the things we, we have really worked on is how do we keep the level of the preservatives as low as possible and use the safest ones as possible? So there are a few things that have been changing, which are interesting. One is, I think if you think back to your mom, maybe your grandmom, what they used to use, we had lots of jars. Remember open jars, you'd stick your hand in there and use it. Now you look around, we have a lot more tubes and pumps. Part of the reason for that is preservation. If I'm sticking my hand in something, every time I stick my hand in there, I'm inoculating that with lots of bacteria that are on my hand. Whereas if I have a little tube or a pump and I use it that way, I'm not getting additional organisms into the product. And we're also doing a lot in the research area, finding um, unique combinations of ingredients where it allows us to use much, much lower levels. But as I said, for the most part, particularly parabens, it's always been one that's been confusing to me because as I said, they are among the most widely tested, safest, and approved for use around the world, not only in cosmetics, but in food. Hmm. So how do you think they got a bad rap? I think it's because there are a few of them that are bad. Oh, okay. And what do you mean by bad? When you test them on different tests that look for toxicity, irritation, allergenicity, a few of them don't score so well. So in the testing that we use to decide, is this something that's safe enough to put on our skin, they would be ones that we would reject because the data isn't isn't good enough. And you would hope that companies are rejecting they are. them. Yeah. They are? Is that, I mean, is that like a, an FDA regulation or, you know, if we know that there's parabens in these products, can we just assume that they're all safe? The way um, the cosmetic industry is reg- regulated is that there is a body called the Cosmetic Ingredient Review, and they are a third-party independent research organization of which the FDA sits on that panel, and they review all the data on cosmetic ingredients and make determinations. And then the industry follows those recommendations. Uh, we're not like drugs where there's pre-approval. But for sure, we have this panel of experts that reviews ingredients. And then in addition to that, um, companies do their own safety testing. So they are testing for allergenicity and toxicity and looking at these ingredients. Hmm. So if there's something in, uh, say, a daily moisturizer Mm -hmm. that isn't the best ingredient for us to have a part of our skincare routine, how damaging could it be? Like how much is actually penetrating through our skin, getting into our bloodstream that could cause harm? Yeah, this is always another one that I I think is kind of funny when you read these articles uh, and they talk about things penetrating into the skin and getting into your bloodstream. You know what? The skin is a pretty amazing organ. It is. It's one of your organs. It's the largest organ we have. And as I always tell everybody, no one ever dies because their skin fails. It's pretty amazing. It keeps you in and it keeps everything else out. So we lose moisture through our skin and yet you can sit in the bathtub and you don't absorb moisture. For the most part, things it's very difficult to drive things through skin. Your skin is, is absolutely a great barrier. So the majority of things that you're putting on your skin are not penetrating through your skin. They are probably penetrating the top layers, but they are not generally getting into your bloodstream. That is rare. Why do you think it's so strict for pregnant women then? I I was recently pregnant Mm -hmm. and that was one of the first things my doctor told me. He's like, eliminate everything from your skincare routine unless it's 
organic and natural, which is funny. We can now laugh at the, at the world word natural, right? but my doctor was very specific when I was pregnant and he said that there were um, very few skincare lines that were safe. So why do you think that is? I have no idea. I mean, again, <laughs> I think this is where I always say social media is the best thing that ever happened to me in my personal life and the worst thing that ever happened to me in my work life. It, you know, I just think this information travels around and, um, Look, I think when you're pregnant, you got to be careful. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And you, you know, if your doctor tells you not to use things or you should drink or what you shouldn't drink, I mean, I think you, you have to look at that. But from certainly from my perspective, the vast majority of products on the market, I don't understand why there would be recommendations not to use on your skin. Now, the one exception to that I would probably make would be things that have active. So for example, uh, Retin-A, so the vitamin A derivatives, those I might be very careful of. If you really want to be careful, look at things, anything that has vitamin A derivatives like retinol, you might want to say, you know what, I might not want to use that. But, uh, you know, your regular body lotion and your, you know, sunscreen face lotion, those items, I it surprises me that a physician would recommend that. And I've heard... <laughs> I don't know how much you can uh, believe a sentence that starts out with, I've heard. I've heard, right. I've been told um, that there are lotions out there and oils out there that can cause different types of cancers and can cause breast cancer. Mm. What's your take on that? Uh, Yeah, I think that a lot of that information is just uh, not backed up by good scientific data. I don't think, you know... uh, as I said, most of the ingredients used in skincare products have been around for eons and been vastly studied and approved for use around the world. A lot of them are also used in foods. You know, there's a very high safety standard and these things have been tested and continue to be tested. I find that difficult to wrestle with that one. So, I mean, obviously I don't know the root of these things, you know, where they've come from, but if they're coming from different companies, I mean, are these just scare tactics? that they're trying to use to eliminate other companies or why would this information be circulating if it's not true? I think, again, this is, you know, we always used to laugh that it's not news when a dog bites a man, but if you say that a man bites a dog, that becomes news, um, even though it doesn't have dogs bite men a lot more often. I I think, unfortunately, you know, uh, there is a lot of sensationalism out there Um, And we have to be careful that we don't succumb to believing all sensationalism and, you know, becoming unnecessary alarmist. I mean, it's a lot like the anti-vaccine movement. I mean, that's a perfect example of a very, very serious topic where scientific data that is supported by every authority around the world was questioned by some celebrities and some groups and ended up leading through social media and reporting to the point where we have people who are not vaccinating their children. And, um, you know, we have this huge outbreak of measles in New York. So it, it happens not only certainly in the skincare area, it happens in the medical area as well. And it's uh, difficult to understand sometimes, but it is part of our everyday life now, unfortunately. 
So how do we not succumb to sensationalism other than just staying off of social media? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Which is well, probably not going to happen. If we're talking about skincare, I, you know, again, I'll go back to skincare. Here's what I tell people. Use a sunscreen every day. <laughs> number one, that's my number one thing, especially on the sun exposed areas of your face. Mild cleansing. And then buy products from a brand you trust. You know, find a brand um, that you trust. Um, and how do you find one that you trust? I think you've got to do a little bit of homework. Uh, you know, go on their website, look at what they're doing, and and find a company that you trust. And I think that is the best way to go forward with this. In general, there's no way the industry is using ingredients that are known to be harmful. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. We, you know, who would do that? Science is changing. We are constantly looking at new data. There are things which we phase out um, based on, you know, an overabundance of caution. But in general, the things that are, you're using on your skin are very, very safe chemicals. You mentioned trusted companies, and you've worked for those trusted companies like mm -hmm. Johnson & Johnson and Pons, Vaseline, we mentioned earlier in the podcast here. Um, they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, they're in Walmarts, they're in CVS, they're in Target. Is there a difference, in your opinion, between products like Pons and Johnson & Johnson that you can find pretty much anywhere mm -hmm. that cost... What, what are the price points? What would you say between five and $25-ish? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. pretty small. Um, versus companies that are selling skincare products that are in the hundreds. Obviously different ingredients used. Right. Um, what, 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 what's your take on that? I'm a, well, obviously, as should come as no surprise, I'm a big believer in research. I'm a big believer in scientific investigations, in companies that spend money keeping you know, ahead of and actually implementing tough standards and actually doing the work, doing the clinical work, doing the safety work, doing the consumer work. And in general, those tend to be the larger companies. So whether it's the L'Oreal's of the world, Unilever, Johnson & Johnson, you know, the large companies, they're spending a lot on R&D. So I would say for areas where you're looking for true activity, so let's say anti-aging or sun care, my personal you know, bet is always to go with the companies that are spending a lot on R&D. Now, when it comes to buying your favorite body lotion or your favorite shampoo, anything that's more about beautifying and keeping your skin in good condition and making you feel good, then I say go with what makes you feel good. Buy from whatever brand you like and appeals to you. But you don't think that there's a real difference between a product that says no harsh chemicals, no <laughs> mineral oils, no <laughs> parabens, you know, that has a list of, you know, eight, 10 ingredients mm -hmm. that scare us right. that we definitely don't want in our products mm -hmm. versus something that doesn't have that listed. No, I, I find it amazing that companies feel like talking about what they don't have makes them a good product. I mean, since when is talking about what you don't have? I don't find that relevant. I'm much more looking for what is it that they have clinically proven they can do for you? So, yeah. you know, what are the benefits that they're giving you? Not what am I leaving out? Um, but unfortunately, I think now that that has become, you know, again, in food as well, what we call the absence of negatives has become part of companies' approach uh, to consumers. 
But as I said, I'm much more interested in what are you doing for me <laughs> and not yeah. what don't you use. What don't you use? Yeah. I'm curious. What do you use? What's your everyday skincare routine like? It's pretty simple. I, in the morning I wash my face and guess what I do next? <laughs> I you put on your SPF. I slather on the side screen and I go through but what it. What kind, um, I don't know if you feel comfortable saying, but what, what type of products do you, do you like the most? I am, uh, obviously having worked for Johnson and Johnson, I'm a big fan of, uh, Neutrogena, uh, and Aveeno. Um, and what I do is I modify my SPF depending on the time of the year and believe it or not what I'm doing. So for example, today is a very rainy day and I'm not planning to go anywhere. So the SPF product I used this morning, I think was about a 20. Whereas if it's in the summer and I know I'm going to be, you know, outside walking around or whatever, I'll go up to using a 70 on my face. And uh, I also keep a tube of SPF 50 in my car so that as soon as I get in the car to go driving, I put that on my hands and I always encourage people that do any amount of driving to look at the difference as you get older between your left hand and your right hand and the left hand, cause it's next to the window has much more UVA light exposure. And I just find it is fascinating the difference between my left hand and my right hand. So I slather sunscreen on my hands before I get in the car to go driving anywhere. <laughs> and then, you know, at night, uh, same thing. I use a very mild cleanser. And then I'm a big fan of uh, retinol-containing products. So I use, uh, you know, a fairly emollient night cream with some retinol in it. Isn't it incredible and fascinating at the same time how far skincare has come? I just think back to when I was younger and I used to watch my mom at night take her mascara off, mm -hmm. remove her makeup. She used Vaseline mm -hmm. to take her mascara off. Yep, works and well. And she would put olive oil on her skin before she went to bed. Also works well. So simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And effective. Yeah. So she looks great. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Not, that's not a bad routine. So you mentioned natural. Is natural always a safe and better solution? Uh, no, I think as we talked about before, I mean, you know, botulism is natural, poison ivy is natural. I think actually nature makes our best poisons if you think about it. So not everything that's natural is better. The other thing that's a real challenge in the beauty area is natural has no agreed de definition. Unlike the food industry where you have the FDA and the USDA that um, actually there's laws about what you need to do to define a food as natural and it's very much based on how those materials are grown. In beauty and skincare, there is no definition. So there's no authority that defines it. And what's happened is it's left up to each individual company. So I think it's important as a consumer, if natural is important to you, to make sure you're reading the packaging or looking at the company website to understand what do they mean by natural. Some people say natural means it has to be derived from plants. And then other people say plants with minimal processing. And then you have other people say, oh, no, natural is also a mineral is natural. If I dig something out of the earth, like, for example, titanium dioxide, which is used in powders and it's a mineral, I mean, that's natural. It came out of the earth, right? So... Right now in the beauty arena, it's sort of very confusing because every company is defining it differently. So just make sure if natural is important to you that you're understanding what it is, the company and the product that you're buying, what it is that they're saying natural means to them. You're telling us that we don't necessarily need to avoid parabens. Is there anything that may be in a skincare product that we need to avoid like 
mineral oils, fragrance. Those are some other terms that have gotten bad raps. And I've always heard if you're using a skincare product or a foundation that has mineral oil or fragrance in it, that it's it's creating a barrier and trapping oil, which can cause blackheads and can cause acne. Any truth to that? Those, you know, the the naturals companies that very much uh, rely on, well, you know, say plant oils, that is one of the claims that they like to make. It It's not... So is a plant oil the same as a mineral oil? No, mineral oil comes from rocks. Mineral oil comes from the oil. It's basically mm-hmm. mined out of the ground. Like, you know, all oils are, they come from rock and shale that's pressed and we get oil the same way we get gasoline or anything. So I would think a plant oil would be better for our skin. So here's what's interesting. Plant oils very often have lots of different components. And there are parts of those that I would argue actually may be better for your skin. So plant oils may um, may contain vitamins in them, for example, or different kinds of components that have been showed to help skin, like linoleic acids. So they're a plant oil, if you, let's say avocado oil or olive oil, again, olive oil is not a chemical. Olive oil is made up of tons of chemicals. So from that perspective, um, they can have beneficial effects. The flip side is a lot of plant materials can be allergenic, right? And the thing that's interesting about mineral oil, it is extremely, extremely non-allergenic. There's almost nobody who's allergic to mineral oils. So from that perspective, it's a very safe oil. Also, it doesn't have, it certainly doesn't have any negative effects. It doesn't block pores or any of, of those, some of those claims that you hear. On the other hand, it doesn't contain vitamins. It doesn't have any of those uh, sort of essential fatty acids that the natural oils have that are very good for our skin. So, you know, they both have their pluses and minuses depending on what you're looking for. And what about fragrance? Fragrances are composed of, you know, generally hundreds of ingredients. And I think for some people that's very concerning because people that are have sensitive skin or have a concern about allergies, fragrance can be an issue for them. So from that perspective, I think if you're one of those people, I, I definitely would avoid products with fragrance. You know, again, in general, my approach is, you know, sort of less is more. So when I buy products, I think about, you know, where might fragrance be important to me and where isn't it? So I happen to like using facial products with low levels of fragrance. I find it makes it more enjoyable. But there's some products where I'm like, you know what? I, For example, detergent. All my detergents are fragrance-free. I'm like, why do I need a fragrance in my detergent? It's not... You want your clothes to smell good. I don't know. It doesn't... It's not important (laughs) to me. (laughs) So really, it sounds like it just boils down to personal preference. It's personal preference. When it comes to anything. Well, it's personal preference. And I will say with fragrance, I would also say if you are prone to allergies or you have sensitive skin... Um, or young children, you, you know, sometimes I, I would think about avoiding fragrance or at least yeah. overly fragranced products. Another word that's out there that's been circulating uh, is new for me, microplastic. <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> what is that? Anyone that has ever used an exfoliating scrub, um, traditionally the way those were made were with small, tiny, very, very minute uh, micro beads of plastic. And what mm-hmm. happened a few years ago is these bees were implicated in um, plastic pollution in the oceans, which as you know, is a huge concern. And we actually saw that a uh, number of localities started banning 
microbeads are exfoliating plastic in skincare, and a number of companies came out and said they no longer use them. And again, this is one where I feel like we're rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic because fundamentally the microplastic pollution in the ocean is due to the breakdown of all the plastic garbage that ends up in the ocean. It's basically the way rocks turn to sand. If you have Mm -hmm. a plastic water bottle, over time it breaks down and gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's funny, I read a statistic the other day that said uh, currently there's more plastic in our ocean than fish. Yeah, scary. It's really scary. Scary and sad. This is another example, I think much like the sunscreens and the coral reefs where regulators found it easy to say, you know, we're going to ban microbeads in in cosmetic products. It's an easy thing to do. It sounds good, but fundamentally that it isn't the problem. (laughs) The problem in our oceans with plastics is not exfoliating beads from cleansers. But are they they causing some harm? And just to kind of dumb it down for for everyone, if our listeners are kind of scratching their heads wondering how the heck it gets into our oceans through the drains. Yeah. Anything you you wash with, in the shower, you know, in the sink, whatever, that's going down the drain and getting into the water. And, you know, all the water on the earth is here. We're not making new water. So as we're constantly flushing chemicals down um, through the drains, they are getting into the ocean and, and... you know, for sure, it's something to think about. And uh, so I'm not saying that using microplastics in cosmetics products is a good idea. I think it's great that we got them out. Every little bit helps. But I think to imply that our plastics issue is from little bees in cosmetics cleansers is that's really disingenuous. So, yeah. But again, we need to do, uh, you know, every, every little bit helps. And both as an industry and as individuals, taking small steps is better than taking no steps. And there are some really great alternatives yep. if you want to exfoliate out there that you can make in your kitchen. I know yeah. uh, sugar, yeah. salt, coffee grinds, yeah. all great exfoliants. Yes, absolutely. So just to sum everything up from you, the expert, hmm. it sounds like we really need to do our research and we need to make sure that SPF is a part of our everyday routine. Yes. I think, again, sunscreen is the most important thing. Buy from companies you trust. If you have questions, go on a company's website, read what they have to say. There are some good information sources. If you want more information about a particular ingredient or its safety or why it's used, there's a great website called cosmeticsinfo.org, which is managed by the industry as a whole. And it's a great starting point if you do have particular questions. You know, I think that... uh, you, you want to do your work, but you don't want to get too caught up in being worried about sensationalistic claims that things are going to really hurt you. And, you know, we have to be smart consumers in all of these categories. All right. So one of the top execs of one of the biggest skincare companies in the world says SPF is paramount. And as we know, it does have a lot of benefits. It shields us from harmful UV rays. It prevents premature aging, a lower skincare risk, lowers blotchiness, prevents sunburns. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. But after a quick Google search, I see that SPF by Aveeno and Neutrogena, both J&J brands, costs anywhere from $7.59 to $12.99, depending, of course, on size and store. But regardless, that Sounds like a pretty small price to pay to keep our skin looking beautiful and looking healthy. 
Here at The Beauty Construct, we believe in gratitude, kindness, and positivity. We practice mindfulness, and we do our very best to find the beauty in every single situation. I'd like to thank our guest today and thank all of you for listening. May you continue to practice mindfulness today, tomorrow, and always. Coming up on the next episode of The Beauty Construct... When we practice mindfulness, we strengthen the part of our brain responsible for productivity, attention, and awareness. We just are more clear on what's going on in our head and what is the most important thing to be focused on. The Beauty Construct is brought to you by Salvasa. Learn more at salvasalife.com.